want to talk to you this morning about faith and teaching because that's pretty much all I ever talk about. Um, some of you will know from, uh, from previous occasions that uh, I've got one interest and that's how does faith affect the way that we teach. Um, I've got a beautiful slide that's going to come up here in a moment, I hope. Um, so I want to talk about this in terms of uh, the, the basic images that we've got at the back of our minds when we think about how faith relates to teaching. And I don't have a lot of news for you this morning. I want to hold up a mirror to some of the conversations that you're having in your schools uh, and have us think about how those conversations might go. Because it seems to me that a lot of the writing that has happened on faith and teaching gives the impression that the goal is to take these two things, faith and teaching, faith and learning, and to try to make them converge. There's these two corridors and you've got to try to somehow make them join up and not run in parallel. And you've got to try to make the carpet tiles match when they meet at the intersection. Um, perhaps not a complete merge, but at least a mosaic that doesn't offend the eye. Uh, we get this kind of image, there's these two things that you've got to somehow bring together. And I think one of the things that's wrong with that image is the idea that there are two things. What if faith and teaching is actually a lot more like a, a tapestry, where there's a lot of strands running in different directions, all intersecting, interweaving, and it's really hard to know what's happening. There's a lot of stuff happening. And we found this when we actually go into schools and talk to teachers, administrators, parents, um, that this is what you see on the ground. Uh, for the last few years with some colleagues at Calvin University and at, at Hope College, uh, we've been conducting some research in Christian schools on the ways in which technology is changing the culture of Christian schools. We've done several years of focus groups, surveys, teacher case studies, looking through school documents, spending time in classrooms, trying to figure out what's happening. There's a book coming out out of this called Digital Life Together that will be out next spring. And I'm just going to take a tiny little slice of some of the things that we heard and saw to try to help us think about this, this question of faith and teaching and what it looks like on the ground. Because we found that when we sat in focus groups with teachers, parents, students, administrators, and we let them talk about how faith related to technology. So how does being Christian and you being a Christian school, how does that affect the way you think about how you use Chromebooks and your students' phones and the internet and research projects and so on. And we found that people, first of all, had different stories about what being a Christian school was. One teacher said to us, I'm by far the oldest in the room. I've watched Christian education move from what do you know to what do you believe and finally to how are you gonna live differently? And I think that's been the journey we've been on as a school as well, and adding technology has been a part of that too. Moving from what do you know to what do you believe to what are you going to do with it. We have this description of this, this history where it started with you've got to know your Bible, um, and then it became you've got to have a Christian worldview, and you've got to have a Christian perspective on everything, you've got to learn to think Christianly, and then it became discipleship practices, and um, sort of how do, you, how do you put this into practice as if these were almost as if we were one by one trying to find the right answer to Christian education, like what's the... What's the way this will finally fit together? And we found as we listened to people that they actually had a bunch of different ways of 
talking about faith and technology. So some people were really focused on behavior. They talked a lot about, if we get laptops, the student's going to plagiarize more. Right? The student's going to cheat on tests. Are they going to treat the laptops well? Are they going to send each other mean messages on social media? Right? There was a focus on how we're going to manage the student behaviors that come along with technology. Other people talked more about practices. Should we have media fasts? Should we have practices like if a human being walks into the classroom, the laptop lids go down to show what we value more? Other people talked about worldview. What kinds of ideas are students going to encounter on the internet now that you don't write your curriculum anymore because you didn't write Wikipedia? Other people talked about mission. So if we want to develop students who go out and bring their faith into the world and make a difference, then how is teaching students to work with technology going to fit into that process? Some people talked about formation. So what is it actually doing to us over time? The way we live with our phones, with our devices, what different kinds of people are we turning into and how does that relate to Christian formation? Other people talked about purity and moral boundaries. How do we keep the phone out of the laptops? How do we keep students from seeing things they shouldn't be seeing? And some people talked about community. What's this doing to the way we relate to each other? What's this doing to how we communicate with parents, with students? What's happening when you walk into a classroom and there's silence and everyone's staring at a screen? Now, the interesting thing is this didn't break down randomly. So teachers were most likely to talk about behaviors and practices. Um, now, what this, don't worry too much about the numbers here, but what the graph is showing you here is first of all, unprompted utterances. We, we isolated those places where people said something where we hadn't just asked them a question about it. So this wasn't us provoking the comment, it was just people spontaneously making a connection. And, um, and this is the percentage of their responses that fell within one of these categories. So, so just doing a raw comparison here, teachers were the most likely to talk about student behaviors and about practices that, uh, that might help us live well with technology. Administrators were much more likely to talk about worldview and perspectives and mission. Um, and interestingly to me, I didn't quite expect this one, with a, although it makes sense in terms of big long-term pictures, but the most likely to be thinking about formation um, and what's happening over the longer term. I was quite surprised at how low some of the student responses were if you look at the yellow bar um, in some of these areas. Students really weren't talking about this a whole lot. The parents were really into purity. Uh, parents were talk the most about moral boundaries and how we're keeping the kids out of the bad stuff. Uh, and the students tended to talk the most about community, about relationships, uh, about how technology is affecting the way we interact with each other. Now, just stop and reflect on this for just a second. I mean, just, just before we go any further. What does it say to us about what it means for a school to have a faith conversation if you think you're all talking about the same thing but in fact, different groups of people in the school are more likely to be approaching it from particular angles um, so that when the parents think about what Christian education is, they're not necessarily thinking the same thing as when the teachers think that and the administrators might be on another planet entirely. So let's think about how this works out in slightly more detail. Um, here's what one parent said, just as an example, a parent in a focus group said to us, this is a perfect time in fifth grade to talk about bad things on the internet. Because they talk about health now and we start talking about sex. So this would be a good layer in fifth grade to be like, side note, internet pornography, internet bad things. So this, this phrase, internet bad things, I mean, this is, 
I, I find this both problematic and understandable, right? That this is a problematic way of understanding the internet. The internet does not dis divide cleanly into good things and bad things, right? And there are Christian websites that you ought to stay away from. Um, but, uh, but I also understand the impulse to be nervous about the well-being of your child in a, in a world in which your child can access anything in the entire world from the security of their bedroom. So this was sort of a parent concern that was quite a high percentage of the utterances, and it, it sort of falls into this purity bucket, right? How do we keep students safe from bad things on the internet? When we talked to administrators, they weren't thinking about this quite the same way. So an administrator said to us, I was always surprised. Every time we get a complaint about porn or that kind of stuff, I was always shocked that we never fielded a complaint about materialism. And if the laptop truly degrades the Christian walk, I think materialism's a far greater danger to the vast majority of the Christian school crowd. And we literally one time caught a kid with porn at school, but catching kids shopping during class all the time. Some of you are nodding. So already there's a problem here because if we go in thinking, right, the internet divides into good things and bad things, and the bad things are mostly porn and bomb-making kits, um, then shopping sites are not a bad thing. In fact, if you go into this thinking that the way the Christian school needs to approach technology is just to buy some Chromebooks and get some good filters to make sure we keep out the bad things, then you're missing a whole ton of important stuff. Because here we're starting to drift into other questions about student behaviors. What's happening when students shop in class? And in fact, we shouldn't stop there because when students talk to us about this, it was fascinating that when students talk to us about porn, they knew that they should avoid that. Everyone knew someone else who was having a problem with it. And they talked about it with a sense of just knowing this was a bad thing. They knew that there were things that if they found them on their laptops, they should close the laptop and talk to the teacher and so on. Um, but shopping in class, they, we detected no sense of shame. They cheerfully talked to us about this as a perfectly normal behavior. In fact, here's what one student said to us about why it's a good thing to have laptops in Bible class. The student said, in some ways it's good because you can obviously type faster on your computer. You can take notes faster, you can share them faster and email faster. Also in that class, because once you get your notes done and the teacher's talking, you can go shopping or do whatever you want. So this starts to become a formation question. What kind of spiritual formation is happening if students are using their devices in Bible class to get the notes down quicker so that they can go shopping while the teacher's talking? What kind of model of faith formation might that be? And if we just want to think about bad things on the internet and how to avoid them, you know, the shoes.com is not bad things on the internet. Uh, and it wasn't just shoes, it was also monster truck tires and all kinds of things. Um, another teacher told us a story about teaching a class. It was a Bible and apologetics class. And a student brought in a newspaper article in which someone had decided to stir the pot a little by arguing that in a predominantly Christian community, it would be really great if a mosque were built at the heart of the community because it would add a little diversity to people's lives and get us out of our shells. And just went on to argue that God doesn't really care exactly how we worship, like whether it's a church or a mosque or a temple. Um, it's just nice that people worship. Uh, and so it'd be great to just sort of, you know, bring some different flavors into the community to like have a mosque as well as the churches. Um, 
so, so just a little, you know, unprovocative piece um, that a student brought into the, the Bible and apologetics class at the Christian school. Um, now, again, how do you respond to this Christianly? This is an online article that the student had read. Uh, so it seems like you might want to respond to this as a worldview question, like this, it's, it's a truth thing, right? Is, is, is the Christian God the same as the Muslim God? Are all religions the same? I mean, these, these are worldview questions. These are big sort of truth questions. But if we only approached this as a truth question, we'd miss some of the places the students went with it. The teacher said, what bothered one of these kids was not that the piece was written, but the online responses that were coming back from the Christian community. They were harsh. They were angry. They were ugly, many of them. And we talked about that in class, 1 Peter 3, always be ready to give an answer, but do this with gentleness and respect. So we talked about how do we respond? What can you do using this tool to bring change to the world for Christ by bringing some grace? And this turned into not just a conversation about worldview and truth, but a conversation about practices and mission. That what does it mean to use technology in the world as a Christian? Is it mostly disagreeing with people in an angry voice? How do you work out Christian virtues in the way that you talk to people online? When we talked to teachers, another thing we heard quite a lot about was how relationship patterns were changing, this whole community question. In particular, we heard teachers telling a number of stories about getting emails in the middle of math class saying, I'm going to be picking my child up in 15 minutes, apparently with the expectation that while teaching math, the teacher is also checking email every three minutes to make sure there isn't a new message from the parent. And within the last year, I've sat at the back of school classrooms and watched teachers teach in five-minute bursts and then give the students something to do and have a laptop open at the front of the classroom and then go check email. This is insane. You need to stop doing that. Teaching's hard enough when you're paying attention, let alone when there's only half your brain in the classroom. Um, we also had teachers telling us about Parents and students sending them emails at 11 o'clock at night and expecting it to have been dealt with by 8 o'clock the next morning. So one of the things that technology is doing is it's taking away the boundary between work time and home time, um, which is something that we ought to be worried about as Christian communities. And it's making it difficult to know when you're not at work and when you should respond. And because you're conscientious people, last night when I got to my, my hotel, I read a research article that just got published that studied a group of teachers and came to the conclusion that having a strong spirituality actually increases the stress of teachers rather than decreasing it. The hypothesis was it's because you're more conscientious and you want to help and you volunteer for more things and you've also got church and so on, right? So you want to help. And what we started noticing as people talked to us was that when the school had not had a conversation about where the boundaries were around communication, and had not established together as a community what the time was in the evening after which you should not be answering emails, what the normal response time was for an email that a parent sent into the school. It placed the burden on the individual teacher to figure out how heroic to be in terms of answering emails. And everyone started assuming that everyone else was doing a little bit better than they were. That I'm the only one who doesn't keep up with all my emails, everybody else is answering them all. And it gradually was pushing people towards more and more heroic ways of keeping up with all these messages. So there was a drift towards greater intensity of communication when it wasn't addressed at a community level. So this is a school community question. It's not just an individual teacher question. 
It's a question about whether we can learn as communities to live well with our technologies. Because we shouldn't be moving into models where 10 minute interval communications are interrupting the process of teaching and learning and where our teachers are not getting enough rest to be able to function well in the classroom the next day. Again, buying Chromebooks and getting filters is not gonna address this. It's not just about keeping porn off the laptops. We can start combining our categories. Um, technology does a lot of things, really great things, another teacher said. One of the things that may be a negative is it allows us to go faster and to do more. I kind of noticed with my students, I wanna back off on that avenue a little bit. I don't always want to go faster. I don't always want to get through more of the Bible. Sometimes I wanna slow down and engage one part of the Bible really well and to be slow and to relieve some of the pressure of school. We watched this teacher teach a Bible class in which students were asked to read some, a passage out of one of the gospels. They were asked to leave the classroom and find a quiet place in the corridor to go sit and read in silence for 20 minutes. They were told to take notes with a pencil and paper. And when they came back into the classroom, the teacher asked them how many had got to the end of the reading and only about half of them had. And he paused and stared at them for a whole 10 seconds. And he said, well done. I'm glad that you're learning to slow down and pay attention to the text, see what's really there and ask questions. He was trying to model that the goal is not to check more things off and get more things done. Because one of the things technology is doing for us is give us an endless stream of apps to try and help us fit more things into our day. That's not good for our formation. So here we're thinking both about our long-term formation and about the kind of practices we build in classrooms. Do we use technology to track more things, help us go faster, help more things happen, put more numbers in more boxes? How does that relate to our formation? Here's one from outside our technology study, although it kind of connects. I had a conversation a few years ago with uh, some teachers when my daughter was still in high school, my youngest daughter, she's in college now. And I was ranting a little bit over breakfast uh, with some colleagues about how I was starting to feel that the biggest negative influence on our family life in terms of my relationship with my daughter wasn't the internet and it wasn't Lady Gaga and it wasn't any of those things. It was probably the Christian school, not the peer group. Um, I'd started noticing that in the vacations, we got our daughter back. She was alive and interested and had conversations with us, talked about her life. But as soon as semester started, she would be monosyllabic. Not because she was rebellious, but because she was exhausted. She would get up at 6.30 in the morning to get the bus at 7.15. She would be in school until she got home on the bus at four something. She would chill for an hour before supper. We would have supper together. Personally, I don't wanna talk about my day over supper either. I'm really tired too. Then she would have homework. She wasn't the fastest homework person, but it would, she'd have several hours of homework. And I started noticing that homework was always designed to be done alone. So homework was always read something, write something, research something. And so what would happen when homework started would she would disappear with a laptop or a pile of books and we'd see her again at half past nine, 10 o'clock and she'd say goodnight, rinse, repeat and we'd get her back at spring break. And I was just starting to think maybe if I've got a 17 year old daughter this might be a time in my life when we ought to be communicating with each other and it would be good for us to be in relationship. So about a week after we had that conversation my daughter came home one evening, she appeared in the family room about eight o'clock and uh, instead of 10 o'clock. And she said, do you guys have some time? She was a little sheepish. 
since I got this homework from my religion teacher, and I've got to ask you guys whether you grew up Christian or whether you became Christian at a certain point and how that went for you. Do you have time to talk about that? Just this once. <laughs> Don't push your luck. So we had, a, we had a chat about it, and we had to sign a little slip to go back to the religion teacher. A week later, she had a homework from communications. I've got to give a talk in class with some PowerPoint slides. And I'm supposed to give the talk to you twice, and you have to give me some feedback both times so that I can improve it before I give it in class. Do you have time to do that? A week later, it was media studies. We had to choose a TV show and watch it together and have a conversation as a, fa as a family about what its values are and whether this is a good investment of our time. A week later, it was government. I've got to ask you guys what you think about the government using drones to spy on its citizens. Is that, a, is that legit? My daughter's feedback was that she learned more from these homeworks than from regular homework, and that they were tremendously rewarding. My feedback was that we had conversations that we would not have had if the teacher had not helped us to have them. Not because we had a dysfunctional family, we got on great with our daughter, but just because we were all tired. You have an enormous amount of cultural power as teachers. You are among the few people in society that can tell other people what to do with their free time, and by and large, they obey you. <laughs> you would not believe the amount of time I spent driving all over Grand Rapids for the LEAF project. <laughs> Your fault. So how are we using that cultural power? Now again, the question that I'm trying to raise here, because if you think about what's Christian about the homework you assign only in terms of worldview, then you're going to ask yourself questions like, does the worksheet have a Christian worldview? And I've seen worksheets with a lot of Christian worldview per square inch. That's one question you could ask. If you're thinking about behavior, then you're just going to be figuring out how to get students to do the homework and be conscientious and so on. But what if you're also thinking about practices and what kind of practices we build together as a community? How do you use homework to build relationships and to build community? So the underlying thing I'm driving at here is if you let your ideas about what's Christian about schools settle into one bucket and you get really focused on just, I need a Christian worldview, or we need to build Christian community, or I need to make the kids behave respectably, or we need some Christian discipleship practices, or we need to follow the mission or whatever else I just missed out. The danger is that you miss stuff. And I think where we really need to get to is something like this. Imagine you've got two weird Christian friends. This might not be hard. Um, one of them, who maybe lives to your left, uh, is just really into the theology of the Eucharist just loves reading Calvin and Luther and Melanchthon and getting all the details straight about who argued about how exactly the bread and the wine are the, bloody, uh, the blood and body of Christ and, and so on, right? Um, and, and they're just totally geeked out by this and any chance you give them, they will debate it with you, but they don't actually go to church and never actually drink wine or eat bread or take communion with people. They're not doing the Eucharist. And you've got another weird friend on the other side of you who just loves drinking wine and eating bread. It's their favorite snack. Um, it's just every time they're hungry, it's their go-to. They just keep some in the fridge. And, uh, but they're not terribly interested in the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection, and they're also not terribly into going to church and so on. They're not doing communion either. Because the Eucharist is not actually 
about just drinking wine and eating bread. And it's not just about understanding the theology. It's about putting all of those things together. It's about having the story and the eating and the drinking and the doing it with other people in a community, in a worship space. Unless all of those things are happening at the same time, guess what? It's not the Eucharist. I don't think your school's a Christian school unless all the things are happening at the same time. And my guess is that bits of them all are happening at the same time because we found when we talked to teachers that everybody had a different favorite bit of this that they wanted to talk about. So this starts me wondering about, instead of looking around your Christian community and thinking, oh, so-and-so doesn't quite get it, really wish they were on board with the Christian worldview thing, maybe we ought to look around and say, of each person we work with, which part of the faith are they seeing well? And which part of teaching are they seeing well? And what could I learn from that? Now, it doesn't mean you can finish up with you do you. Because the eye cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. What it means is you need all the bits. And you don't get to just settle into being the worldview person. Or being the spend extra time with the needy students person. Or being the mission person or being the community glue person. You get to be part of a Christian community that talks to each other about how all the bits fit together. And try to see what you can learn from the other people in your community. What kind of school community would you need to be for that to happen? What kind of conversations ought to happen in the week for you to be able to figure out more of what faith is and more of how it relates to teaching so that the school as a whole is celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ. Thank you for listening.